Hey, it's good to see you guys here. Hey, if you want to grab a Bible, uh, we're going to be in Matthew chapter 6. And Matthew chapter 6 is the heart of the Sermon on the Mount. And in the heart of the Sermon on the Mount is a section called the Lord's Prayer. We're going to be walking through that for the next five weeks. We're going to be looking at the Lord's Prayer. Uh, and so if you want to turn there, you can also grab a Bible. They may be down in front of you. You can get your phone out. Your phone will find it if you tell it. Matthew chapter 6, uh, verses 5 to 15. And we're going to jump into that and, uh, and read it together. But before we read it, let me just kind of intro what we're looking at. Again, when we go to the Sermon on the Mount, this is the heart. Uh, actually, in the Lord's Prayer is the heart of what is called the Sermon on the Mount. Now, it's not really a sermon. It's not one message. I think it's a series of messages that have come together. And in the heart of that message is this prayer. It's the Lord's Prayer. And in many ways, it's not the Lord's Prayer. I know it's called that, so we, we, ha- we can't change the title. I don't know if today I can officially change it to the Disciples' Prayer. But see, it's not what Jesus prayed. See, that's found in John 17. If you go to John 17, not right now, but later, you can go to John 17, and you're going to find what Jesus prayed. In Matthew chapter 6, what you're finding is what he taught us to pray. That he says, this is how I want you to pray. But see, the Lord's Prayer is not just about the words that we pray, but in many ways, it's a picture of the life that we live. See, the Lord's Prayer, and I know it's called prayer, but see, that's not added by the New Testament. It's added by some guy later on. He put a little title above it called the Lord's Prayer. That's not from Jesus. He just said, hey, this is how I want you to pray. But see, in the Lord's Prayer, because it's in the Sermon on the Mount, the context of the whole sermon is this is what life in the kingdom looks like. This is what life in the kingdom of God looks like. Or to say it another way, this is what life that looks like that's been transformed by God. If God's captured your heart, if what Jesus has done in the good news, which is called the gospel, if that's come in and it's renovated your heart and it's changed the way you see yourself and see God and you see the world, this is what a person looks like. And what he's doing throughout this sermon is he's contrasting two types of people. Those that are walking and living in the kingdom and those who are not. And it's interesting because when you go through that, that message, he's talking really to religious people. He says there's a way to fast and there's a way not to fast. Hey, listen, there's a way to pray and there's a way not to pray. That's what we're doing today. Uh, there's a way to give and there's a way not to give. What he's saying is what does a heart, what does a life look like that's really captivated by God, captivated by the gospel, and is under, ready for this, the rule and reign of God. Because, see, that's what kingdom means. Kingdom is God's rule and reign coming down from heaven to earth. That's why we pray, thy kingdom come. Ready for this? Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. We're saying heaven now. God, bring heaven down. And so what does a life look like where heaven is reigning in the heart of a human being? What does life look like where the love of God, the presence of God, the power of God is reigning in the heart, the mind, the will, the emotions of a human being? It's the Lord's Prayer. So in a sense, it's a scaffolding for how we should pray, but it's also a prayer that we can pray. Because if you notice, it's going to start off our Father, which means that the Lord's Prayer was given to a community. It was something that we were to recite together. Because see, in the old Jewish pattern of things, they had many written prayers that they would recite together. And in a sense, it's a way of kind of warming yourself up, getting yourself going. Sometimes we do that in workouts. We listen to some music, kind of get the heart going, get the body going. Well, the Lord's Prayer is like that. It gets us going so that we recognize who God is, we recognize who we are, and in that we get to rest in the goodness of God. So let's jump in. Is you ready? You sure? 
You guys, we're ready. We're going to go to Matthew chapter 6 and pick it up in verse, in verse 5. The word of the Lord. Oop, I'm not ready. Matthew chapter 6, verse, verse 5. And when you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites, for see, they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners, that they may be seen by others. Truly, I say to you, they have received their reward. Verse 6, but when you pray, go to your room and shut the door and pray to your Father who is in secret. And your Father who sees in secret will reward you. And when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think they will be heard for their many words. Do not be like them. For your Father knows what you need before you ask. And so pray then like this, our Father in heaven. Hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. This is the word of the Lord. All thanks be to God. So you noticed at the end of that prayer, no kingdom come, no will be done, right? No, no Actually, no, uh, I, I lost it. Thine is the power and the kingdom forever and ever, amen, right? That ending is not there. Did you notice that? You pick up on that? Yeah, it's not present. Because see, what that was was more than likely an addition later on, whether through the church or through someone saying, hey, this doesn't wrap up well. It doesn't mean that it's not correct. It doesn't mean that it's not right. But it's just not present in either Matthew or in Luke's gospel. But what Jesus is describing, again, is the way we approach God. And here's the beauty of this. What he's doing is he's saying a life that has really been changed by God, it's going to look different. It should. I mean, let's face it, if you've met somebody important and they've had an impact, that impact should show up in your life. I mean, if you've been married, that should show up in your life. Uh, a married man lives different than a non-married man, I hope. And, and likewise, a woman lives different. Because when you have an impact in a relationship, it changes the way you live. Well, what kind of impact does God make? Well, that's what this prayer is, is unpacking. And Jesus is showing us the difference between someone who's been impacted, uh, who's come under the authority and the reign of God, and someone who hasn't. And he's really saying there's two ways that we approach God. We either approach God the way of the Gentile, and you'll notice that in verse 7. He says, don't pray like this. So here's, here's a life that prays. So it's not an irreligious person. It's a very de devoted person. This is somebody who prays. And he says, don't pray like this. Rather, I want you to pray like that. So there's two ways that he's contrasting. One way is the way of the Gentile. The other is the way of the Father. Now, the way of the Gentile, Gentile simply refers to non-Jew. So Jesus is saying, don't pray like the Gentile world. Don't pray like the world outside of us. Because when they pray, they have a different approach to God. I don't know if you ever read uh, 1 Corinthians 13. You always see it or hear it read at weddings, but it's really not intended for that. Because it starts off, you hear about a, a clanging gong and a cymbal. And he says, if you're like a clanging gong or a cymbal, what, what is that? It's somebody trying to get God's attention. 
Because see, in the old days, way back, way back, what people would do is they would bang on something. They would yell at God because you had to wake him up. Maybe he's asleep. You know, maybe he's out for dinner. See, the gods in the past had to be placated. You had to offer something. You had to give them. You had to get their attention. You had to show them that you're someone worth listening to. Jesus is saying that's not how you approach God. You don't approach God on the basis of what you can do. I mean, look at that. If you, again, you want to turn to verse 7, he says, not with many words. God doesn't pay attention to you because you come with the right words in the sense of trying to impress him. There are words that we need to use. But he's saying don't come with just many words. Don't come babbling to God. Rather, when we come to God, we come to God saying, our Father. So let's do a little self-examination. When you pray, if you pray, and on the occasions that you pray, what comes to mind? What do you think about God? I mean, think about it. When you pray, what does God think about you? What assumptions do you make when you're approaching him? I mean, is he happy to see you? Is he willing to listen? And why would he answer your prayers? Why would he respond to you? What are the assumptions that you're kind of bringing into that relationship? Because what he's describing and getting at is he's trying to uncover the assumptions we bring in when we approach God. Because all of us have assumptions when you're approaching somebody. There's rules in relationships. There's rules in how you encounter a stranger. You know, there's rules when you're at the store, whether you go to Safeway, King Supers, Walmart, whatever, however you roll, Target, go down to Tarzay. Um, there's rules when you approach a stranger. There's certain things you can do and certain things you don't do. So when I'm at King Supers, I think it's okay to be friendly. So I try to say hi to people. I think that's okay. It's okay to help someone. I know sometimes things are too high. You may help someone. Someone say, hey, can you grab that for me? Or, or maybe someone may ask you, have you seen this? Do you know where this is? Now, those are appropriate kinds of relationships because there's an assumption where this is an okay way to approach someone. But I'll tell you what's not okay. It's not okay to stare at the stuff in my cart. <laughs> As if it hadn't happened to you, it's awkward. When somebody is staring at the stuff that you got in your cart, you feel judged. And it's certainly not appropriate to reach in and grab somebody else's stuff. I know it's not mine, but I feel some, I feel some ownership over the stuff in my cart. Because see, if somebody did that, they would be crossing a line of assumption, crossing a line of human relationship that is not okay in how you approach me. You don't approach me that way. And I noticed that Christmas time, uh, people seemed a little, little more friendly. They seemed, even though it was crowded, at least when I went, I probably went the wrong time, but it was incredibly crowded. And people seemed willing to let people pass. There was a, a sense of freedom and joy. I'll tell you, all that freedom and joy is gone when a storm's coming. Have you been there? A storm is coming, the place is packed, it's a scavenger hunt. And it's a scavenger hunt. I got to get all my stuff before you get your stuff, and I got to get out of here before you get out completely different set of rules and assumptions in how we approach each other. So if we do that in our relationships, if that's how we approach each other, there are assumptions we bring when we come and approach God. So again, let me ask you, just be reflective for a moment. What are the assumptions you're carrying into that prayer with God? Or right now, even in, as you walk and live with God, if you've got a relationship with God or if you don't and you think about God, 
What are the assumptions you bring into that? What he's saying is the assumptions are going to show up in how you pray. You can't hide what you believe. Now, you can try to deceive yourselves, but what you believe always, listen, always shows up in what you do. So if you don't pray, that says something about what you believe about God. If you do pray the way you pray or what you pray about, it says fundamentally something about God. What is God for? So think of the last time you prayed or the last three times or four times. What did that time say about the way you're approaching God? And see, what Jesus is trying to do is he's taking the way the world approaches God and he's saying, do not approach God this way. It doesn't work. Don't come with many words, meaning don't come on the basis of what I can get or what I can do. Because what do we think about prayer? Hey, it doesn't work. I mean, how often have I had that conversation with people? They say, I try to pray, but listen, pastor, it doesn't work. And I go, okay, well, hey, what are the assumptions you're bringing into this? Well, it's supposed to work. Now, what does work mean? You guys know what work means. I'm not getting what I want. Do not be like the Gentiles who come with their many words, who come with a transaction, who come, are you ready for this, in a business relationship. There's a difference between a relationship between a father and a child and a business relationship. And what he's saying is Gentiles, and by Gentiles, it's referring really to a philosophy of approaching God. Don't come on the basis of your many words Don't try to impress God. Don't try to wake God up. He's already awake. He knows who you are. And he said that, right? He knows what you need. Now, that doesn't mean we don't ask for what we need. What he's saying is that's how intimate he is with you. He already knows what you need. He is already attuned to where you are in life. God is focused on you. But when you come to him, start with the phrase, our Father, that we approach God on the basis of a relationship, not what I can get. Ready? but based on who I am. We always approach God on the basis of who he is and who I am, that I am a child of God and I come to him as my father. And see, that changes everything. Now, you gotta know the kind of father he is, so we're gonna get into that just a little bit because many of you may have bad concepts of connotations of father or what that means. But imagine it this way. Let's start with this illustration. Imagine there's a family and in this family, uh, there's a, some children in the family. Obviously, there's a, some parents in the family. And also above the garage, there's a renter. And the renter has a great relationship with the family, plays with the family dog. They hang out together. Sometimes he's even come over for dinner. He's done a few things, taught the little boy how to hit a baseball, uh, taught the little girl how to walk the dog and to, cause him, uh, to make him sit and all that kind of good stuff. So good relationship. But that relationship's on the basis of this. He pays his rent. Because I don't care if you're walking my dog, teaching my kid to hit. If you're not paying the rent, that relationship's going to break down. It's also based on the fact that he's taking care of the property. It's, It's based on the fact he's not having tons of parties. There's not breaking the rules. That relationship between the renter and the family, even though it's familial, even though it's good, it's always contingent. You're one bad check away from getting kicked out. You're a couple broken windows away from finding somebody else to replace you. Do you approach God like that? God's going to kick me out. Hey, I'm just one bad bounce check away from God getting rid of me. When you approach God in prayer, are you coming to him as a Gentile, as a renter on a business relationship? 
Because in business relationships, we say to each other, I've got this, you've got that, let's exchange. I'll do this, you do that. And on the basis of that, there's a contingency. But in a family relationship, we're moving more closely to an unconditional relationship. That that relationship, whether it's good or bad, it's still your father. You know, some of us this Christmas season, we understand the difficulty and the mess of family. And some of you say, I don't even like the, that idea of family because my family's so messed up. And yet they're still your family. You still see them. You still have to see them. You still relate to them. Because, see, that relationship isn't contingent so much on how they treat you or how good the relationship is. It's based on who I am and who they are. And so when it comes to prayer, the foundation of that in the Christian life, this is unique to Christianity. No other religion starts on this foundation. It's on the basis of Father. Now, let's unpack that a little bit and ask the question, what does that really mean? Well, what does it mean? What Jesus is saying to us in this passage is we always approach the Father through the idea that we have been adopted. We always approach the Father on this concept, this biblical idea, this doctrine in the Christian faith that we have been adopted by the Father, that the Father has chosen us. And we do this coming through Jesus Christ. Let me get to that passage real quick. In John chapter 1, verse 12, it says, and hear this, but all who have received him, meaning Jesus, and notice the language, to all who have, who have believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. So this is in the Gospels, the story of Jesus. He's saying to all who believe in who? In Jesus, we become the children of God. Why? Because we're all children of the creator. We're all children of the creator, which means we're created in the image of God, and every human being is incredibly valuable because they're not created just as any being. They're created in God's image, in God's likeness. So human beings are incredibly valuable. But the idea of the gospel is it's faith in Jesus. We take on the same relationship with the Father that Jesus has with the Father. That's the good news of the gospel. You can be loved by the Father the same way that Jesus was loved by the Father. And he's saying we do that through faith in what Jesus has done. We become the children of God. This is the language in the New Testament of adoption. And so in Romans chapter 8, verse 15, it says, For you did not receive a spirit of slavery. Romans 8, 15. You did not receive a spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father. See, even in the story of Christmas in Galatians chapter 4, it says when the time had fully come, God sent his son born of a woman born under law to redeem those under law. Why? Why did he come? So that we might be adopted, so that we might receive the rights of children. Jesus has come so that through his life, his death, his resurrection, we are now the children of God. And our relationship with the Father isn't based on what we do, it's not based on how good our day is going. It's not based on how well we've done. It's not based on what we can give God or what God can give us. It's coming to God and saying, God, you're my father. Now, often in the Christian life, we pray, God, would you be our father, but we treat him like a landlord. Or we think God treats us like a renter. He's going to kick me out. He's going to get rid of me. But no, the relationship is on the basis I'm a child. So which means in my household, when the neighbor kids act up, I can say, hey, guys, time to go. See ya. 
I'm glad you came over. You can come back tomorrow, but you're not staying today because that behavior, I don't have to put up with it. You're not my kid. You're somebody else's kid. But here's the truth. I don't get to do that with my kids. That wouldn't be a very good father. With my kids, I don't say, hey, you're not accepted because of what you do. I say, no, son, you're accepted because you're mine. Hey, let's talk about your behavior. Parents, that's how we parent our children. We always remind them of who they are. You're my son. You're my daughter. Whom I love. With you, I'm well pleased. Hey, let's talk about what's going on because this just isn't working. See, a father, a mother doesn't cast out their kids based on what they do. No, they receive them based on who they are. And he's saying, when you approach God in prayer, you've got to work up this reality that we have been adopted. We come to the Father on the basis of, of the Son. And that's why Scripture is constantly saying, we boldly come before a throne of grace. Why? Through Jesus Christ. See, the story of Scripture is that through Jesus and what he's done, his relationship with the Father becomes my relationship. Let me show you. In John chapter 17, this is amazing what, he, what Jesus says in John 17. John 17, verse 23. I don't think I will ever get over this phrase. It says in John 17, 23, so that the world may know that you sent me, and notice, and love them even as. Never get over the words even as. Even as you have loved me. How much does the Father love Jesus? Here's the reality. The same way he loves you when you pray. Is that your assumption? Heck no. Can I say that? No. Do you approach prayer thinking in this moment the Father loves me as much as he loves Jesus? Well, see, that's what adoption is, isn't it? See, in adoption, when somebody is adopted, their behavior doesn't change. And there's many kids that have been adopted that have grown up in difficult homes. And when they get into that new home, it takes some time for the love of the father, the love of the mother, the love of the house to change that child. Behavior doesn't change. What happens when a child is adopted? Their status changes. Their relationship changes. Their identity has changed. And see, when we come to the father, we got to come in and say, God, I'm your son. I'm your daughter. I'm your child. Why? Because of what Jesus has done. And see, the rest of the Lord's Prayer flows out of this. You know why many of us don't praise? Why we don't adore God? Why there's no wonder and joy with God? Because we don't believe we're the children of God. Just think about this for a minute. The reason that many of us can spend 30 minutes telling God what we want and not 30 minutes talking about who he is. And talking about who he is sounds like boredom. It's because you've got a renter's relationship with God. Hear, hear me on this. Just trust me. Because I've been there. I'm not, I'm not cast out. I'm telling you, I'm there many days. As many days I get up and I'm just like, okay, God, this is what we got to get through today. This is my list. You with me? But what has to happen? What has to happen is I've got to get my heart prepared. I've got to come into the presence of the Father and say this, how great is the love the Father has lavished on us. This is 1 John 3.1. How great is the love the Father has lavished on us that we should be called the children of God. And listen. That's what we are. See, in the Greek it says, behold what manner of love. When you behold something, that's not intellect. That's wonder. John is saying, has the truth of God's love making you a child, has it created wonder? Is it creating awe? That I was so sinful that Jesus Christ had to die. The wages of sin is death. That's not on God. It's not that God is cruel. It's what I deserve. 
Because God's created me. He's given me everything. See, in our culture today, we have this higher elevation of us and this lower belief of God. We want to lower God and raise us up. But Scripture says, in our sin, we are separated from him. Why am I a child? I'm a child because of what Jesus has done. And faith in him has made me secure with the Father, that I know his love. And see, in the cross, we know the dimensions of the love of God. See, if the cross wasn't for the sins of the world, then it's empty. It's foolish. I'd rather spend time with Jesus than him to die as an example. No, because on the cross, what happened, my sins were forgiven. My brokenness, I've rejected the Father, I've worshipped myself, and I've, de- I've taken him down a scale, and I've put myself up a scale. And in the cross, and believing in Jesus, I am now adopted, which creates wonder. Do you have that wonder and amazement when you pray? You know, Scripture's constantly trying to get you there, I'm telling you. That's why all those first chapters of the books in the New Testament, they're all... In love, he predestined us to be adopted as his children through Jesus Christ in accordance with his, listen, pleasure and will. What's that supposed to do? You've been adopted according to God's pleasure. It's supposed to go, are you serious? His pleasure and will has adopted me to make me a child of God according to his, his, and it says he's lavished grace on us. All of scripture is there to wake you up to the reality you're a child of God, and that's not a small thing. And so when we approach the Father, we've got to come in with this awe because that's where the petition comes, hallowed be thy name. You're not going to hallow God unless there's something to praise. That's why in 1 Peter it says, and the angels long to look into these things. The angels love looking into the gospel because they're they're, they're never content with just seeing it once. They see it over and over and it melts their hearts. Are you with me on that? See, our our Father is not just the beginning, it's the pathway of prayer, but it's the pathway of life. I have confidence with God because my faith is a free gift of grace in Jesus Christ and Christ alone. Our Father. Also, hey, here's this, because this is where we want to go, right? Our daily bread. Now, I want a little more than bread. Usually when I go to God, I'm not just asking for bread. But notice he says, our daily bread. How often does he want you to come to him? Now, on the one hand, it says daily. It doesn't say weekly. It doesn't say monthly bread. Because one of the things you've got to pick up on in the New Testament is there is a crazy kind of shameless boldness in prayer. And it's weird. I'm telling you, the way that the New Testament, even Jesus said, hey, come with me like a widow who's coming to a judge, and the judge is ignoring her. But she wants justice. She's tenacious as a bulldog. She is not giving up on her. Have you met that? She's tough. She's going to get her justice. She's going to be her. Jesus says, listen, this is how you pray. You come to the Father, and you come to the Father shamelessly. You come boldly. You come at 3 in the morning. You come 2 in the afternoon. You ask him for a parking spot. You tell him about your bad day. You come to him constantly. Pray consistently, always. What kind of person can show up in the king's chamber at 3 a.m. and ask for a glass of water? What kind of person can walk into the CEO's office in the middle of a huge transaction and say, hey, I've had a bad day? What kind of person does that? Only a child can do that. My wife can't show up at 3 a.m. and ask for water. I'm going to say, hey, go get it yourself. But my kids, I'm afraid, Dad. I heard something, Dad. I need you, Dad. What does that do for the father? It says, I want to be with you. I want to be near you. Do you have that kind of persistency? Do you have that sense, as Jesus said, don't suffer the little children, but such is belonging to the kingdom of God. We approach God as a child. We approach God with the wonder. What does a child have? 
trust. It's not logical. <laughs> My kids are not logically relating to me. I can promise you our conversations are not logical. But they know their father is good and they know I am for them no matter what's going on. And I don't think that changes. The way we communicate to our kids change and, and what we do for them changes. But if my kid's 32 and he's got a problem, call me at 3 a.m., bro. Some things, hey, if it's, hey, should I get up, dad, or something like that, or should I get a job, don't call me. But if it's a real need, I'm there for you. How are we praying, church? When you think of the Father, when you come to God, what's the assumption? Do you think he's glad to hear you? If you don't, then you're approaching him with many words and you're not seeing yourself loved even as Jesus was loved. You know what you got to do? When you think God doesn't want to hear you, you got to say, wait a minute. Right now, Father, I, I don't feel loved, but I know that Scripture says I am loved just as you have loved Jesus, you're loving me. And you need to get some Scripture up in that heart. That, that Scripture says, you know, he who did not spare his own son but gave him up for us all, why will he not also with Jesus give you all things? You know what our problem is? It's a lack of trust. We need to believe him. James says, the gifts come down from the Father of the heavenly lights, who doesn't change like shifting shadows, which means his opinion of you doesn't change. And if it's through faith in Jesus, it's solidified through faith in Jesus, and we're secure in him. So church, this year, would you just simply begin to approach God as Father? Would you spend not 15 minutes asking God for what you need, but rather 15 minutes just reminding your heart of who he is? 15 minutes, and what's going to happen? Here's, here's the beauty. This is what happens to me when I can get there. I've got to get there. You've got to build up the muscles. It's like the gym. You're not going to get there on the first day. But what begins to happen is all those problems I brought into prayer, once I sense he's my father and that he's there with me, those problems just don't seem to be as weighty. I mean, they just don't have the same weight on my heart. And I can say, God... Wow, thank you for being here with me. I know I'm walking through the valley of the shadow of death, but you know what? You're with me, and so I fear no evil. God, just remind me today, even if I don't get the promotion, even if my th these things don't work out, God, you're with me, and that's enough. That's enough. Help me to walk in that joy. See what the Lord's Prayer is doing? It's preparing us to live with God, but it's reminding us we always approach God through Jesus and God the Father responds to us as if we are Jesus coming to him. Guys, that's beautiful. That's the gospel. That's our God. Hey, I'm going to pray for us, but today as we, as we conclude, we're going to celebrate communion together. And let me explain what we're going to do. Communion's not an add-on to the service. It's the heart of the Christian faith. Because see, in communion, we're looking at the reason we're accepted. We're accepted because Jesus said, this is my body which was broken for you. Now we receive that in remembrance of him. And then he says, he says it this way, this is the blood. Now he calls it not just his blood, he calls it the new covenant. You know what a covenant is? It's a new establishment, a new relationship. Meaning the reason you can have a relationship with Jesus is through faith in what Jesus has done. It's saying, Father, accept me on the basis of Jesus and Jesus alone. I come to you because of what he has done. And if you have said that, if you've prayed that, or if that's your desire today, just say, Father, would you accept me because of what Christ has done? I don't want to come to you with many words. I don't want to come to you and press that. I don't want to be a renter anymore. I want to know what it's like to be a child and to experience your love. If that's your desire today, you can just simply say, Father, accept me on the basis of Jesus. And this table for each one of us is open to you.
Now, when you come forward, the person up front will present the bread, and they'll say, this is Christ's body broken for you. And then you'll take that piece of bread, and you can dip it into the cup, and they'll say, this is Christ's blood shed for you. And we take that in faith, recognizing what God has done. Hey, I want to invite those to come forward. As they come forward, I'm going to pray. And so let's prepare our hearts to experience what God's done for us. Father, I thank you that the good news is the kingdom of God is here. Repent, repent. That's all you want from us, which means acknowledge me. Acknowledge me. The Lord's prayer begins with saying, God, we're not God. Forgive us for taking who you are and trying to diminish your holiness or or trying to lower your character. But instead, your love for us is deep as the death of Jesus. Your power for us that for us who believe is as, as great as Jesus rising from the dead because the Holy Spirit that's in us, that convicts us and reminds us that Jesus is the way and the truth of the life, that Holy Spirit that raised Jesus from the dead is alive in us. And so all we have to say is, Father, we want to be your children today. Accept us on the basis of Jesus and Jesus alone. Whether we say that for the first time or, Father, we're saying that just as a child to remind ourselves, Lord, we come to this table because you have laid down your life on the cross for us so that we might be the children of God. And Father, how great is the love you have lavished on us that we should be called today children of God. Father, may we approach you with that wonder, that awe, that trust that we belong to you because of what Christ has done. We celebrate together in Jesus' name.